Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the VC Brunner podcast a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs I am your host Dikjay and today I have with me Sumukh Sridhara who is the founder and CEO at Equity List which is an equity management tool for Indian startups Sumukh is also the head of product and engineering at AngelList India which as a platform is the most active early stage investor in India In today's episode Sumuk talks about Angelist and its role at various stages in the life cycle of a startup, the culture and founder mindset at Angelist, the making of Equity List and how Equity List was born from this startup OS approach to building products at Angelist. I had a great time chatting with Sumuk, understanding the importance of equity management at startups and hearing some interesting comparisons between the startup ecosystems in India and the US. Let's jump into the episode to listen to what Sumuk has to share. Welcome Sumok. Welcome to the VC Bruna podcast. Glad to have you on the show today. Great. Thanks for having me, Dick J. Great. So, Sumok, maybe you know, we can start off by listening to your background and how did you end up working with Angelist? Sure. So, I grew up in Silicon Valley and I'm based in San Francisco and my introduction to software was making iPhone applications when I was uh young and that turned into me being interested in starting companies and maybe there's just something in the water. uh here in Silicon Valley but that that background drew me to start companies and eventually to Angelist where we could be the engine of startups uh across the world and there was this unique opportunity at Angelist to work on our venture capital infrastructure which is interesting as a software engineer to be able to apply software engineering skills to venture capital specifically uh and so i worked on our us based venture operations for a while and then i uh we were starting the angelist india side of this where we bring our venture operations specifically to india uh, about 2 years ago and uh i started building that product specifically there and now i work uh mostly with the angelist india team to build software products specifically for india right that's great and you know while angelist is you know well renowned globally it's relatively new to india so for the benefit of our listeners could you share you know, a brief about angelist you know how does it play a role in the life cycle of a startup and how is it enabling the startup ecosystem per se absolutely so angelist plays a role in essentially every stage of a company's growth the three main products we have are our venture capital offerings uh which are mainly designed to investors but what that ends up doing is it gets funds to startups to help them hire employees and to hire employees they can do it on our angelist talent uh suite of products and once they have you know money and employees they can build products and they can launch those products on product hunt which is a company we acquired a few years ago and they can find customers and as they find customers they grow the team they raise more money they hire more people uh they launch new products so if you think about the three things a startup needs uh angelus is there to provide all of those three things through different product offerings and most people know angelus specifically as a way to find jobs at startups and it's a really great tool for that but the broader scope of our product offerings is helping investors invest in startups then helping startups uh hire talent and helping them launch their product 
right so it basically completes the you know the entire life cycle right from fundraising to recruitment to finding customers right and angelist wasn't always doing all three parts the origin of angelist and why it's called angelist is when it started it was literally actually just a list of angel investors and the founders of angelist were curating startups and sending them to investors in an email newsletter fashion and one of those startups that was on the email newsletter was uber uh, and so a bunch of investors found Uber through this Angelus email, and they were able to invest in one of the greatest venture returns of this decade. So that's the early version of Angelus. And over time, it expanded to include the talent products, which helps uh, startups find talent to recruit team members and helps people find jobs at startups. And then the investment side of this product, as well as matured over time to now be what is one of the largest portfolios of startups anywhere. And that has been the case because we operate this platform for investors to run venture funds on the AngelList product suite. So we we handle everything from them being able to raise money to start a fund to be able to deploy that money, send money to startups. And then when those startups exit back and return money, uh, distribute that money back to investors. So now we manage the full life cycle of a venture fund as well. Right. Right. And it, could you unpack, you know, how is it easier for someone to invest through AngelList versus setting up their own VC fund? Yeah. Uh, well, there's a lot of things that are involved with setting up a, a VC fund. Can It can be a full-time job to operate a venture fund. And what this ends up doing is it lowers the field of who can be an investor in startups, because to do that, you have to jump through all the, the legal hoops of fund administration, raising capitals. AngelList just gives you rails to make that a lot easier to do. And the way that plays out is we see a whole new class. And this has been the trend in the last few years. And I think AngelList played a big part in this is essentially operator investors. So it's people who are running startups or executives at high growth companies, and they're able to raise capital and deploy into startups because they can use tools from AngelList to run their fund while still doing their day job. So that's one way we make it easier is we essentially standardize the whole process and we can do most of it through software, which makes the cost go down as well for investors to, to set up a fund. The second side of it is there's another side of access. There's a group of people in Silicon Valley and in India who have access to really good startups, but there's a lot more people who want access to the asset class than have access to the really good startups. So what we've enabled through our syndicates model is investors can create a syndicate of high value add what are called limited partners or essentially backers to invest behind them into their deal. So let's say you dig J find a really good startup investment opportunity. Uh, you can then syndicate that out to a bunch of people that are in your network who might not have had access to that company, but can provide value. So maybe they're an executive at some firm or they, they have a lot of experience in the space. And what you can do with the Angelist Syndicate is you can essentially have them all invest in one special purpose vehicle to the company. So that makes the logistics for the company a lot easier because they're only dealing with one check. But it also makes it possible for all of these other people who might not have had access originally to be able to invest in high growth startups. Right. So in a way, it's democratizing, you know, investments. And for those who don't have the time to go out fundraising from LPs and managing the fund itself, you know, Angelist can be a very easy and convenient way to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. You mentioned about your Angelist having one of the largest portfolios. Could you speak to that in terms of numbers? Sure. And then I'm assuming there's a lot of data that comes out through the platform because of those numbers and because of the scale. So the follow-up is, how do you leverage this data to feedback into your product roadmap and, you know, for you to build solutions? 
solutions for different stakeholders in the ecosystem. Yeah. So our, I was looking at the numbers recently and our global investment portfolio is coming close to 5,000 startups, which is massive if you think about it. Usual venture funds might have between 10 to 50 portfolio companies if they're really large. And so in the context of a portfolio of a single fund and the fact that we have around 5,000 in aggregate uh, is just massive. So we're, we're dealing in a couple orders of magnitude larger than most venture funds. And I believe it's the largest portfolio that anyone has aggregated everywhere, anywhere uh, of startups. So yeah, you're right that it is absolutely massive. And it's not just on the investment front as well. It, it's on the recruiting side. There's close to 30,000 companies recruiting, close to 3 million candidates on Angelus looking for jobs. Wow. The scale is massive in, in multiple different ways. There, there's a variety of ways we can use that data to serve startups and investors. The first one is just figuring out what are the right tools to build uh, to support them. This is how we ended up launching tools to support startup hiring and why the need for product hunt became clear. And it's actually why we're building Equity List, which we'll talk more about later. But th that's the very first one is to build software tools that allow startups and founders to grow. Uh, the second one is we use the portfolio data to better understand the performance of startup investments. Uh, the venture capital industry is notoriously opaque. It's hard to get uh, high quality data. Uh, you might think that there's a lot of really good data out there with like Crunchbase or like all of these other like aggregators, but like to be able to produce insights, you need to have really high quality data and it's hard to get. And so we have a unique position in that we have access to our own portfolio of companies and we can uh, do a lot deeper analysis there. One of the tools we published from that analysis is actually a fund performance calculator. So this is a tool for VCs to understand how good they are, essentially. And that seems like might be an obvious uh, like thing. If you're good, you're good. But it's not quite that simple. And the state of the art before was essentially a quarterly report from a firm that surveys a select group, a handful of ven other venture capital firms, and to get like a quarterly percentile benchmark. So essentially, if you're a VC, you might know with a few months lag, if you are in the top 25% above average, below average, or in the bottom 25%. And that's the precision you you could rank yourself with. Uh, what we were able to do is combine portfolio data, uh, which has data from thousands of investments with publicly available data and launch this fund performance calculator. So it can give you an, essentially an exact percentile of how good your fund is with really high precision and with more recent data, essentially. So that's one way we're helping uh, investors and actually limited partners as well understand how good the funds that they're backing are. Right. Another thing we're able to do is provide insights for people who are investing and data that can help them consider how to construct their portfolio of investments. In early stage venture, there's a common saying that the larger your portfolio, the better your returns are. But that was always usually just a saying, and it wasn't necessarily backed up with data. So we, we were able to publish a white paper earlier this year that actually proves this. Uh, and the, the number that came out of that was that a, a typical investor with a 100 investment portfolio outperforms the typical investor who only made one investment by about 9% a year, which is uh, pretty significant. Yeah, and there's, there's a variety of other conclusions we have. They're on the Angelus blog if you want to read them. But the short answer is that uh, data helps us surface unique insights about the industry. And it's only possible because we have access to this huge pool of data. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, you spoke about equity list a bit, and that's where I was going to come to. You're not just running the product, but you're the CEO and you're managing the product end to end, you know, almost running it like a company. 
So maybe you could talk to us, you know, about the genesis of the product and, you know, what's the core problem that Equity List is solving for founders and employees at the startup. Sure. So like I mentioned earlier, our goal at Angelist is to help startups. And within our portfolio, we were able to see that companies in India were actually struggling with equity management, especially as they scale up. So the state of art about how to do it was managing spreadsheets. And I love spreadsheets, but as you grow and scale, it becomes an unmaintainable solution to manage uh, your company's most valuable resource, which is your equity. So we, we noticed that this was a hole in the market and that there was no great solution for our companies and our companies were spending a lot of time managing this. The challenge for startups specifically is in two parts. One is it's managing your equity that is in spreadsheets. It becomes hard to model and prone to errors. And so that results in a lot of legal fees and like managing, paying lawyers to like improve your cap table at every round and also just doesn't help you understand what could happen if you raise another round or if you get acquired you don't you don't quite have a clear picture of that the second is that managing hypergrowth becomes very challenging if you're hiring 100 employees every quarter managing issuing equity grants becomes tedious it essentially takes one or more full-time finance team members to be able to create grant letters track vesting events, do all of the manual reporting to calculate how many unit options have been vested, etc. that are required. And so the way that Silicon Valley startups solve this is they, they have access to a variety of software products that help them manage this process. Uh, and we noticed the startups in India don't have access to the same level of tooling. And so it was an opportunity for us to build this as a tool for the entire Indian startup ecosystem. Right, got it. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, have multiple tool options, which, uh, you know, help them solve this problem. If you could unpack, you know, how exactly is it, you know, different in in the US versus the India markets? Yeah, in the US, there's a variety of unique instruments. Ultimately, what we're dealing with when we're talking about equity and startup instruments is we're talking about securities, and each country has its own securities regulations. And then options are also a form of security. But they're, they're actually a very complex financial instrument. And there are specific rules and regulations around how you exercise and grant options and account for them that are different in the US compared to India. So that's the first one is that just as a baseline, there is a different set of financial requirements. For example, something in India that's unique, that's not quite there in the US is like minimum vesting periods. Uh, It's actually regulated by law in India that there's a certain minimum vesting period for options. And that's not something that exists in India. And there's other differences. For example, there's these classes of instruments called a preferred stock and how that's implemented in India versus the US is uh, reasonably different enough so that it's not possible to really use a US-based product for an Indian entity and be comfortable uh, with its accuracy. So that's probably the biggest one. The second problem that's unique in India is that employee understanding of options and how to value them is is not quite at the same level it is in Silicon Valley. And so there is a variety of challenges there around education and standardization. In the US, it's fairly easy to assume a standardization around the terms of options programs. But in India, it's a little less standardized. And we think that's an opportunity to just set best practices in India. Right. Makes sense. And seeing some similar tools, you know, proper very recently in India as well, how is Equity List trying to differentiate itself uh, in the market? 
Yeah, I think Angelus comes at this from a unique perspective that's hard to replicate. We're, we're able to take all the insights from our managing our portfolio of 5,000 companies and our software our skills and building tools for startups and put that together to create a unique product that's really useful. But beyond that, the biggest differentiator, at least when we're talking to companies, is that our product suite is actually free. So we're offering this entire suite of products completely for free to startups. The most common piece of feedback we get when we're talking to founders is that this is something they would pay for because it delivers enough value for them. But we've just decided to make it available as a public good for the ecosystem because we think startups, investors, and employees will all benefit from being able to use this tool and that it'll level up the Indian startup ecosystem. So that's one thing. And the other side of it is that we're building this product suite to serve from the earliest stages of companies all the way through exits with thousands of employees. And how we've implemented that is by building special tools that will grow with the founders and the startups. The way that looks like is we have this tool that generates documents to set up an options program just by filling out a few forms. Uh, And these documents would otherwise cost thousands in legal fees. And another way we do that is by providing advanced tooling that's useful outside of just equity management, like data rooms. One piece of feedback we heard from a founder is they'd have to pay another company. Uh, This is a popular SaaS company people in the US use a lot, uh, over $1,000 a year to a data room vendor just to have access to some of the same features we're offering on our data room product. So I think I think we just provide a lot of value and we're able to do it for free with our unique angelist perspective on this. Right, right. So the bundling of, you know, products that you mentioned, you know, something like a data room is definitely an add-on, which, you know, they wouldn't think about had they not taken or opted for equity list. Right. I read an interesting recent tweet of yours and this is slightly off schedule, but I was really intrigued. Mm-hmm. You spoke about this concept of startup OS. You know, could you elaborate, uh, you know, that concept? I found it very interesting. Yep. And tell us, you know, how does that perspective help you think about products at AngelList? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something I think about when I, I'm a, also an engineer by training. I build products and I was thinking about what how an operating system works and how you're able to create a lot of value by building a base layer. And so this might get too technical, but the way an operating system works is it's essentially a layer between the hardware of a computer and software applications. And the software applications themselves create a lot of value for people, for the end users who are using them. So I think about the startup operating system very similarly. It's a way for people, for startups to access some of the fundamental underpinnings of how companies operate. And so for those, those are those are three, there's three parts that essentially compose the hardware layer of innovation. One of that's capital, the other one's talent, and the other one is regulations. Right. And so those are the like fundamental base layer of how innovation works. And then the startup operating system is the layer between that and startups. And in the US, what that looks like is it's it's tools like Stripe that allow companies to access the payment layer more easily and build value. Uh, it's all of the venture capital firms that allow startups to access talent. Uh, it's companies like Product Hunt that help them access customers uh, and products like Angelus Talent Product that helps them access uh, the underlying talent that exists in the market to help them build really good products. And because they have access to all of these tools to get capital, talent, and regulations, they can build big companies that produce innovation and impact for the economy. And so when you look at the startup operating system in the U.S., it's, it's very well developed. There's a variety of tools that startups can 
hook into to just grow. And whether that's HR, whether that's equity management, whether that's talent, uh, whether it's financial services, all of those already exist. But if we look in India, some of those tools are not quite there yet. What that ends up doing is it it makes it harder for companies to grow. It's It's like trying to build without AWS. It's just a handicap on the growth rate of companies to, to have to think about certain underlying principles like data centers. And if you're able to arbitrage that out, you can produce a lot of additional innovation in the ecosystem. So that's broadly how I think about the startup operating system. And it guides our product development philosophy which is that if we are able to build the tools to allow startups to grow and help catalyze the growth of other tools in this operating system, that will be a net good for the entire ecosystem and will help it grow and mature. And Equity List fits right in there as a tool that helps companies manage the, the talent and regulation pieces of building and growing a company. Right. Very interesting. And that's one of the differences that you mentioned, right? And given your unique vantage point to look at the nuances and differences in the two ecosystems, what are some other differences that you can clearly see from that vantage point yeah. between India and the Silicon Valley? One of it, like I mentioned earlier, is just norms. The expectation around equity in Silicon Valley startups is very strong. So if you if you try and recruit someone to join your startup in Silicon Valley, an engineer, let's say, like, and you try and not offer them equity, they'll be outraged. But in India, the trend we've been noticing is that employees tend to treat their equity as worth nothing, or they entirely ignore it. It's like, that's nice. But like, you know, what's my cash compensation? And that I think has long term impacts on how the ecosystem can grow. That's a big one is just norms around equity management and this applies on the company side too, by the way, like setting good terms around and fair terms around equity programs is also really important and something we're trying to push for as part of equity list. So the first one is just norms around how equity is treated. The second is there is a prestige of starting something or just like an allure of starting something that I think is not quite as common in, in India. Like the, the difference is like, the way I perceive it, so I, I went to Berkeley, but with like within my friends and, and folks I know who went to another university in the Bay Area uh, called Stanford, the common ecosystem is it is equally like advantageous or socially prestigious to be saying you you want to start something than it is to say you want to work at Google. Yep. And I don't think India is quite there yet where the the allure of starting a company is as prestigious as working at a at a big company. So so that's just like a kind of a mindset change and I think that'll change over time as we see more and more examples of companies that are grown in India and become really big. So yeah, th- those are two big differences. I think the thing that's common between the two is, first of all, there's people who are really smart. I think that's universally true. Like the extent to which India values STEM talent is is really high. And that's that's actually a big opportunity to create innovation. And there's a saying in venture capital, which is the world isn't really constrained by capital. I think that's a common misconception is there's not enough money to fund investments. At least in today's economy, there's plenty of money to fund good companies. But what's missing is there's not a lot of people who like really good people who want to start companies. That's the biggest constraint. It's not even good ideas. There are plenty of ideas out there. I think what we need is more people working on it. And that'll just be a neck good for the world. Right. Very interesting. 
So one thing that you would, you know, want to pick to change for the Indian ecosystem, you know, what would it be? I don't know if I am like smart enough to understand the entire picture and like figure out the the one thing I would change, but I can relay what what I've been hearing from investors and founders. The most common one from investors is, and actually both of these relate to government policy, which is an interesting anecdote. But the first one from investors is there's a discrepancy in between how gains from investments in unlisted companies versus listed companies. And that essentially rewards investing in listed companies over investing in unlisted companies. And so that creates a disincentive to invest in private companies, which I think is not a great idea. But again, I'm not smart enough on like specific tax policy to to weigh all the considerations there. Just know that that's uh, something investors talk about a lot. And then yep. on the on the founder and employee side, it, I think there's an opportunity for India. And I, I may be biased because I see this problem a lot during the course of the equity list, but uh, to create an innovative solution for startups around how ESOPs are, are taxed. Currently, options have faced this problem of essentially double taxation where you're yep. taxed both at, at exercise and when you sell. And that creates really tough problems around how to manage equity if you're an employee. And so I think it'll just be a net good for the Indian ecosystem if the tax policy was simplified there. But again, I, I'm a biased because I see this problem all the time. It's entirely possible that there are other bigger things to be changed as well. But um, those are the two that I'm, I see most frequently. Yep, great. Yeah, I just want to switch gears, you know, at this point and talk a bit about the culture at AngelList. You know, I've read a lot about hiring where they clearly lay out that, you know, we are hiring people that can, you know, operate as founders, even if they are engineers or product managers. So if you could, you know, describe this work culture and how has it helped you personally and the employees at AngelList accelerate their growth? Sure. The way I heard it described was that AngelList essentially hires people who operate like founders. And what that means is not that everyone's, you know, like working 120 hours a week or whatever. It's more about a mindset about how you build products and how you grow them. So everyone essentially operates like an owner of the product, which for one thing makes it more fun and interesting to work on as a team. The second one is in terms of how it helps employees, I think the success metric for everyone who reports to me at AngelList is that when they leave AngelList, I, I either want to see them join an early stage company to help them grow or start their own company. And most of the people who leave AngelList actually end up starting their own companies. Part of that is also an input bias where um, when I started AngelList, around 50% of the people had actually already started companies before, myself included. So there's a certain operating mindset about working like a founder. And the way that channels down to day-to-day work is it means that people are are empowered to make decisions about their work. So the principle to follow, and I think this is a good management philosophy, is let people who are closest to the work make decisions about how the work gets done. And that's just an empowering place to work. So that that's the short answer is it creates an interesting place to work and a place where essentially trains you to be a founder. And that's an interesting and unique opportunity to have right absolutely and you know it brings in a level of complexity where you know there are shifts in priorities and mindset that you need to make right while you're thinking like a founder an operator and then you know thinking like a ceo yeah so how do you straddle you know between those different uh, mindsets yeah yeah i mean I, I think this is just a classic founder problem where you're like you have to manage the long-term vision as well as the day-to-day execution and that's just like a core skill of being a founder is you're dealing with things popping up on a day-to-day basis but you're also thinking about the long term 
in terms of how you manage it, I mean, I think a lot of it is just working with really competent people helps solve a lot of these issues where you're able to trust other people to do their scope of work and um, do a really good job, which allows you to not have to be uh, like looking after many things. You can focus your attention on specific tasks. I did an analysis of my time when I was working on the U.S. venture team about how much of my time was spent on overhead tasks. So things like mandatory meetings or just meetings like large meetings in general. And I, I found that number was less than 10%, which I think is really, really good in terms of managing overhead, especially benchmarked to other companies. So I think the answer is there's just an environment that allows you to do that. I don't know if there's any specific like strategies you use other than build good products. Right. So I mean, the culture itself is, you know, empowering enough for people to settle in that mindset and be able to manage that with time and experience. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's this one last question before we jump into the rapid fire questions. And I couldn't resist asking this. Nawal has been an important pillar behind AngelList. You know, he's done so much for the ecosystem. We all are a big fan of his, you know, deep insights on not just startups, but you know, the way he approaches life, talks about habits, and yep. you know, some of these topics at a deeper level. What kind of an influence does it have on uh, people on the team? You know, working at AngelList, and how has it affected you personally? You know, having him on the sidelines. Yeah. I think Vol plays a very important role in AngelList. The early stages of AngelList were essentially products that Naval could use to do angel invest. He was essentially the person we built products for. So we realized that like Naval is running a company, but he's also a really good investor. So like what kinds of product could we build for him to allow him to scale up? And so that's how syndicates were born. And then and we realized that like we should let people run venture funds, but not have to do all of the normal complicated work behind running a venture fund. And so we created this venture fund product that Naval is able to use. And so Naval brings a really good perspective on uh, essentially our ideal user, but also like, and this is true more generally too, some of the best investors that I, I that I know personally are actually AngelList employees. And so this combination of investing skills plus uh, ability to build new products or innovate on new products is really important. And, but, it, but I also want to say that at the end of the day, actually building this company is team effort, like. Naval is a great user and leader, but the great reason that we're able to build all of these things is because we have a strong team that um, I guess ultimately Naval was responsible for helping hire and grow. But um, the reason Angelus is able to do all the magic it does is because it has a really great team who operate on the same principles and which we talked about earlier, like working like a founder. And the reason we have those principles and the reason any company has a culture it does is that it's an outgrowth of the founders. And so essentially you see it day to day because of the culture. But um, Naval is also just uh, the canonical user for what we build on the investment side. Right. Very, very interesting. So, you know, moving on, I am going to move to the last segment for the show today, which is the rapid fire questions. Sure. You know, I'll ask you a few questions and I hope you can provide your honest answer on, on all of those. Yeah. Okay. The first one, if you had to give a TED talk, what topic would you choose? Yeah, this is, this is interesting. I think uh, what I would do is I would talk about why you shouldn't become a venture capitalist. Right. Very interesting. Any, any specific reason why you would pick that topic? 
Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of reasons, and um, like the this core one is I, I notice a lot of my smart friends are attracted to the lure of being in venture capital. But I think once you dig and have a better understanding of what you actually do, especially as a junior venture investor, and what that actually looks like versus what it appears to look like outside of the box, the job itself becomes less appealing. And so far, among all of my friends who have considered taking a venture capital role, I have a hundred percent hit rate at convincing them to not join a venture capital firm instead uh, go to grad school or start a company instead that's really interesting second question how do you define success yeah i mean i think the best metric is this is the ability to do what you want with your time it's, it's having the optionality to say yes to things you care about and no to things you don't yeah that, that's probably the, the most succinct way to put it All right okay uh, next question people from the startup ecosystem that you look up to and inspire you yeah you know there are so many and it is it's so hard to count and recall. And I, I don't even want to name anyone because I don't think I could do justice to all the people who have uh, helped along the years uh, and have been helpful. So there, there are so many people that I look up to, but specifically, I'll, I'll cite if like an example of, I particularly admire people who remind us that it is possible to both be nice and do really well in Silicon Valley uh, and startups in general. Uh, I think it's a really common thing is to say you have to be ruthless, very aggressive and mean. And, like you have to be the like Steve Jobs personality to really do well. And that's not true, I find. And there are a lot of people who I've worked with personally, but also generally who do a good job of reminding the world that you don't have to be a jerk to do well. Yep. Uh, you can actually be really nice and uh, succeed. And so those are specific peoples I, I look up to. But like I said, that's part of the magic of Silicon Valley. It's that um, there are so many people who, who will be helpful and inspiring to you along the way that um, at the end of a career, it's almost impossible to, to thank everyone. Right. I think that's a perfect note to you know end the show on. And before we say goodbye, you know, any final thoughts for both uh, aspiring and current entrepreneurs who are listening to this? Yeah, for aspiring entrepreneurs, I, I encourage you to try and be productive. And like, there appears to be a lot of barriers to starting a company. But in practice, there are not. You can go out and start trying to ship some version of that today. And then the second is for current entrepreneurs, one, entirely self-serving is you should check out Equity List as a way to manage your cap tables and uh, equity programs. But two, I mean, like, there's just so much opportunity out there in the world and the world really needs um, more founders. So all, all the more courage to them. Great. Well said, Samoka. Samoka, it's been great listening to your thoughts, you know, on the startup ecosystem and how AngelList and EquityList is playing a crucial role in being an enabler for the ecosystem. Wish you all the best for EquityList and thanks for your time today. Great. Thanks so much, DJ. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it. Share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next week with another VCpreneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.